James, I saw... No, I want to do the intro. Okay, do the intro. Welcome to Everything Hurts. No, hang on. Welcome to Gardening with Kevin. G'day, Kev. I am, I, I, I am, I am your host, Chauncebal Malone, and I'm here with Don Kinsonetta. <laughs> <coughs> How are you, Don? I'm well. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> So no, I, I've had I've had bad intros running through my head all day for no reason. Let's actually do a podcast. So, what were you going to ask? You recently did a talk at a stork event. What is stork? First, um, society. With a, this is what you get for making a complex acronym, uh, boys and girls. Because uh, now I've really got to reach society for transparentness, openness, and reproducibility and kinesiology. Nice. That's that's why you call a fucking stork, eh? <laughs> it's a lot of syllables. Yeah, they're good. They're good people. They asked me to. They asked me to do a talk, and uh, I said I said yes straight away because I I, I like them. There are this is obviously things that are near and dear to both of our hearts, and um, I, I get into a lot of um, kinesiology and kinesiology related stuff at work now. So can you explain what it is, based for people that are not familiar with that term? Kinesiology. Yeah. You, you you know you know what this is though, champ. I know right? what this is, but some of our listeners okay. might know. No rush. Um. Well, in the traditional in the traditional sense, um, I think it has like like the the stricter definition actually has something to do with biofeedback. I think oh. in the in the general I didn't sense know that. Okay. in the gen- in the general sense, um, it's basically any. Anything that crosses over with the study of human movement. So, lots of biomechanists, everything, um, bit of physiology, bit of neuropsych, bit of social science. Um, so, it would cross domains of uh, exercise and sports science and some occupational therapy stuff and some neuropsych stuff and basically anything, anything with movie, anything movie. I saw this. I saw this bloke. His specialization is is cricket batting. I'm like, gee, of course, there's a specialization for everything. That's his yeah, thing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, it makes perfect sense. There's people out there who are specifically good down at just training someone to throw the baseballs. Yeah, and it probably works off their feet because so many people are out there throwing the baseballs. So, I mean, this is a, you you you're an academic expert allegedly in one or more highly specific areas. Like, you know, for instance, like neuropeptides without knowing anything about neuropeptides, for instance, yeah. um, or doing meta-analysis badly or at all. <laughs> um, these, are, these, are, these are highly specific. Yeah. Cricket, cricket Bat Malone's probably a greater use to society than we are. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you were doing a talk at Stork. Stork talk. Stork talk. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is... Uh, one of the one of the greater failings of my life. I tell you, there's a never try. This is a good PSA for everyone listening. Never try and record a talk out of PowerPoint because, um, as it embeds, it's it's very very easy to do. You just Sorry, hit what? And it starts recording. So right. recording a talk within the actual program, the software yeah. program. Okay. Yeah, and when it when it goes to uh, compress uh, and uh, assemble the video file from the raw components that it's recorded. Um, it takes about 75 years as far as I can tell to make a talk. Um, total, total disaster. I, when I recorded this talk and I had to record it because I managed to book it over the top of, I got some time zones wrong. Oh, um, it's a pre-record. 
we, I was pre-recorded, but I was also there live and did Q&A live over my own talk, which I thought was actually a pretty good approach. Nice way of doing it, actually. Um, you, you get a lot of you get a lot of contact signed in, you know. It's just, it's a good value add, but it was horrendous for me because by the time I'd pre-recorded it, I had given it in my house. I was on the, the third and a half time uh, recorder, so I recorded it three and a half times and got to bed at um, quarter to four. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because it's uh, because it's three in the morning, and I'm hell bent on if I wake the cat up, he'll uh, walk all over me, which is where the half talk came from. Incidentally, he jumped on the keyboard and skipped slides, and I couldn't figure out how to unskip. Oh, outtakes, outtakes. Yeah, I had to start again. Oh, I, yeah, that file might be saved somewhere with several rude words in the file name, but um, I'm recording it. At, Just a typical uh, Hertz you know, episode. In the, I'm recording it in the witching hours, whispering, so I sound very like breathy and ASMR. And just <laughs> recording the episode because I'm trying to whisper, and it was um, so it was a disaster for me. But I mean, I like I like the talk content, and it's pretty much uh, it's it's a retread of uh, it's a retread of a lot of hurt stuff people have seen before, but updated with a whole bunch of recent examples. Okay, and prob- probably the most recent example that I used. Uh, was this marvelous paper from um, now? I keep getting this wrong. They're at a university in Split. Oh, I don't even know paper. how you say that, and I, I wasn't sure if it was in Croatia, uh, Croatia or Serbia, and it's in Croatia. Gotta um, get that one three, right. Yes, uh, there's yeah, look, historical conflict, conflict notwithstanding. Um, so Split is in Croatia, and uh, researchers, I think they're all there. Um, who did a marvelous paper on data availability. The title was and amazing. I loved the title. We need, we need more titles like this. The title of this paper was, mm. uh, let me have a look, uh, many researchers were not compliant with their published data sharing statement. Just just telling how it is. Great title. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what makes a good title in abstract. We found this thing and um, you, you, you just can't argue with an unambiguous statement. Um, the the key result for me was not the fact that they only got six or seven percent of the data sets actually from people. It's the fact that when you write to someone who has published recently who says data is available on request, eighty one percent of the time the people didn't even write back. Eighty one percent. Eighty one percent, and that is with a sample size of over seventeen hundred. Let's go into the maybe we're going ahead a little bit, but um, it could be worth it. The methods of the actual paper. So, from 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 what I read of this paper, um, they got ethical approval to do this, and essentially, uh, people responding to the email constituted saying that yes, I provide my consent to take part in the study. So, I get the feeling that a lot of people would have seen this, going, "Oh, I can't be dealing with this," and there was no response in that way. So, that may have explained that low response rate. It's not it's not to, not not to excuse the the, the behaviour, but I get the feeling that that contributed to this low response rate. Going well, I could um, just. Yeah, I, I think I think I think a few things did. Okay. Um, in in that sense, so if you front people and you say, uh, "I would like to see your data because you said it's available," um, I mean, you can be as legalistic on something like this as you like, but uh, one of the one of the obvious factors is that you are not saying I'm interested in your area of research. I would like to do something with this data. I'm interested in reanalysis. I'm interested in exploring it. We should have an academic relationship, or even like, "fuck you, let's talk." I think you've got something wrong, um, which can be. That's how you approach authors. Which is <laughs> Daniel, please. Um, 
Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is, uh, I mean, these, these things can be quite engaging. And obviously, that there is an element to which, um, well, you said it, it's, it's available, uh, let's have it. Uh, is is not going to be as it, it's it's not going to have the same sort of nuance as someone that you you know or mm. someone who's from your area writing for a different reason and obviously the study i mean i i really don't understand why you'd need ethics to do a study like this is one of those things it's like having ethics for meta-analysis almost yeah, yeah, it just—it all seems a bit stupid, and I think in another context, like, would it be perfectly legal for me to do this by myself and then talk about the results in public? And the, the answer is like, so incredibly yes, not just sort of like yes, but but yeah, of course you could. Um, so uh, long story short, um, the 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 obvious thing is, I think the I think what this is a statement of is how many people have it ready to go when they say that. Yeah? yeah, where just replying, attaching something to the email and hitting reply and going, bong, here's the data file or even here's the folder. Um, who's who's ready to go? Um, and that a different approach would probably get more people to do the required data preparation to send it where they might be more amenable what, to do it. What kind but of different approach? Well, let's say you yourself think of someone that you would ostensibly work with. Hmm. Um, who had data in uh, in a project collected from within a project and they had sort of heard of you and you'd sort of heard of them and you said, I've got this great idea. And you wrote and you said, can I have it? It's like a paper with Julian. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it is It is a bit like that, yeah. Um, he's referring to Julian Koenig. Hardest working man in psychophysiology. Hardest working, uh, yeah, probably the hardest working man of the European continent. So <laughs> I reckon, Tom, you slack bastards. Which is not a slight on him. It's a slight on the continent. He's a machine. All, all, all um, the order, order reply emails about to, about to begin. Um, apologies, I won't be able to reply until September. <laughs> I'm on yeah. vacation. Yeah, right. I'm going to get back from the Atlantic Ocean and live as a fish, whatever. So I think what it's a statement of is not. How much data could you conceivably get if everything went beautifully? It's how many people have it packaged up? How many people are ready to send it when they say, when they imply that it's available? Yeah? Because, I mean, at that point in time, you know, you ostensibly want to look good. And someone's, even if it's people you don't recognize from a country, you may not be able to locate on a map, which would probably certainly be true of most American researchers. I don't know what the fuck Croatia is. You know, you probably think of some type of hot dog. Um, <laughs> take that, America. No, shit, I'm going to be here, um, you know, I'll be here nine years, I think, in July. So, you know, maybe I'm going native. Um, is it eight years? Oh, I don't know. There you go. America fucks with your sense of detail. Um, so, it's. I, I, I still think it's a very useful piece of information because – what it what it speaks to is the non-participatory nature of of how this is considered. You know, I mean, I've got uh, projects where everything's a fucking mess, and I never got around to uploading the data across and that's where it is now. Yeah? How, how old are these projects you're talking about, though? Oh, years old. Um, yeah, because um, th- this particular but, project looked at papers that were published in 2019, so relatively recent. Because it made me think, yeah. like, our, if someone asks us for our PhD data. 
Gee. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you probably have PhD data that's almost a decade old. Yeah. And I, I think so, I think in terms of um our our ethics, we had to only keep it for seven years. Not well, yeah, but that's just that's a, the ethical approval of it. As as we covered a few minutes ago, Daniel, ethical approval, ethical approval is not everything it's cracked up to be. Um, the the point the point being, when someone says this, it means like it, it's a possibility I'm willing to discuss under limited circumstances. When they say it's available on request, uh, it's a hugely qualified statement. So. It was just a matter of, is it? Um, the answer is no. So could I be convinced to send it? Would I confer any kind of value in sending it? Um, then I think it starts to go up. Because, I mean, there's been other projects where, um, especially for uh, computational reproducibility projects, we write to people who say, I want to get the data, I want to get the code, I want to be able to reproduce this, I want to do a thing, make you look good. Um, I know I've got projects where I write back to that and it's like, yeah, make me look fancy. There's the code. It works. There's the data. It behaves itself to a certain degree. You'll find all of the conclusions pop right out. Put tab A in slot B. Everything should be cool. Um, I, I really like, um, I really like the fact that it was measured like this because other projects have been more interrogative, more persistent. Uh, and come from people where, uh, if you if you Google them, you'd go, oh, uh, would be it would be good if I send this person my data. I look like a fool in front of them. Would the response rates about the same compared to these other projects? Uh, it's it's a, a little a little lower. Um, I think traditionally, I've thought traditionally it was more sort of like my impression of a fairly loose reading of the literature would be more fifteen to twenty percent rather than fucking six or whatever it was. <laughs> But I mean, it's not it's not appreciably different. But this is also I mean, the other thing that being able to do this easily gets you, of course, is a gigantic sample size. I mean, they managed to follow up on uh, seventeen hundred individual requests, I think. Um, and you know, I mean, it just it 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 certainly does put pay to the fact that the the statement of you can you can have it. It's a, it's immediately available. It's any kind of immediacy to this is pure bullshit. Um, and I mean, I was complaining about this the other day because I mean, it was, paper's been on my mind since I read it. So when you said we should do this paper, I'm like, oh fuck yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I don't think we've made uh, a tremendous amount of collective progress on this um some some fields are already pretty good uh there's there's, there's, there's sort of like what i think is the, the fig share fields where like there's just a, the data sharing like that is kind of a de facto standard what, what, you know what sort of examples i think ecology is um is is quite good um some of the other sort of earth and land <laughs> the science the fig share fields. yeah yeah that's, that's a good, um, good description I remember reading a paper once and uh, I saw that forestry was particularly low for data sharing. Um, you've got to protect other, the anonymity of those trees, mate. Other fields, if you, if you remember, well, yes, of course, you know, A371 doesn't want you looking at his acorns. <laughs> uh, if you remember back to our episode with Chris Jackson, um, he was describing how a lot of the data that they get in geology uh, is coming from uh, commercial data sources with an oil and gas. So they're getting it 
Oh, or because it's a sort of a symbiotic relationship between the research and the company, and you can't give it away because it isn't yours. They've let you use it, but you're utterly not entitled to start uh, putting it putting it into the public domain. I imagine and, forestry would be the same then. Um, it's entirely possible that what is happening there, yes, that it's been derived from like land councils or governments or something, and maybe it already is. Or maybe it's coming from uh, maybe it's coming from the commercial management of large tracts of whatever, and it's just their blanket policy. They don't want to fuck with it. And a lot of the time, it's it, it's not because in many circumstances like this, it's it's not because it's commercially threatening. It's because it can be fucking bothered. You know, it's not because it couldn't be navigated. They see no benefit. It's work. Mm. Yeah, you're basically asking them for a donation at that point, and a lot of people will just conveniently lose your number when you get to that point. Because human nature is what it is. So, the uh, an interesting response is that something happened after this. You didn't know any of this. This is so you've managed to pick a, a topic once for all where I'm actually well prepared. So I was th- I was thinking about this problem in terms of large data sets because anytime you talk about open data, there's always some neuroimaging fucker who says. Well, I have all the data in the whole world, Sunshine. What am I going to do about that? Uh, how do you propose that I just pop this on the OSFs? And obviously, they have a good point. There's, there's several um, there's several answers to that. One is, I think it's deeply embarrassing that as a, a, like a global academic community, we haven't got a coordinated response to this yet. Um, the second one is maybe you don't need to send all of the fucking raw data, but maybe there's, there is there's some kind of, there's some kind of compressions. Yeah. This is, uh, is it, is it possible that you could put like a sample image and code and then leave out the other 4 million of them? Um, people just snippets all the time for gigantic data sets that are stored somewhere. Go and look at the, uh, uh the physionet.org. Uh, and you'll find that there's lots of data sets where there's like a sample five records. Um, and then, you know, there's 127,000 other records that go with it. So you can get it to run, right? You can start working on it straight it's good, away. It's a good, decent you, sample. You can, you can download the data Physio in 30 seconds. Head of the game. That's been around for forever. Yeah, since the 90s. Yeah. Um, and it's quite, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite big now. Uh, every, everything. Everything, lots of pretty much everything with a non-invasive physiology gets a go. Um, and the George Moody challenge this year is on heart sounds. So if anyone out there is, um, there's a few months left on that. If you have some uh, some idea of how to detect heart murmur from a uh, uh, an auditory recording of a uh, of a heart, then um, that's a it? chance. Yeah, that's a chance to rip into it. Go and look clever. See if you can beat the algorithms that the, the other teams have proposed. So, one thing that immediately strikes me is, oh, it's too much of the data. It's all, it's all very, very difficult. All I can think of is, why do we not have peer-to-peer distribution of this setup? We kind of do. So No, <coughs> no, no, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So, I, I immediately Googled academic torrents. Yeah? As, as might be expected. I mean, what's a better way than a, a torrent network mm. to... to collectively distributed data and 
there's already a fucking site called academictorrents.com that's um it looks like it's built out of github there you go uh, and they have 100 they have 127 terabytes of uh of academic data now the project looks like it's um the project looks like it's uh a little bit not like defunct or anything like that but it's pretty qu- it's pretty it's pretty quiet um certainly there's new data there's many many hundreds of um of data sets that are on it um and they're all a lot of them are badly labeled <laughs> but I, I do think this but, large data set thing is pretty edge casey like only in some situations of course in some fields like neuroscience you can have these massive data sets but people have figured out solutions you have these massive public data sets like the abcd study which is looking at um uh, brain structure and function function in, in thousands of teens from like you know over at adolescence and i think these data sets are hosted on some government server somewhere so that is how you access it so it's not cheap but they have the data there it's doable yeah it it, it is but i mean it's doable it should be uh, centralized so i mean i i poked through academic torrents and um there's there's a lot um there's there's a lot of very very large uh terabyte scale files on it what's a gigabyte scale files for, i think for it's a really node who can, really can handle big some big I, I know osf's limits five gig for for a project but i think zenodo yeah. can get some pretty big files from memory like 50 gig type stuff yeah i mean this is obviously want to take this to work where you've got um, a, a proper uh fiber line and i'll uh, leave it to upload overnight or some shit um, but you probably only have to do it once. You get it right. Yeah. But I mean, I, I I love the I love the peer-to-peer solution. And so they it seems like they have lots of networks through lots of different countries, and um, it's it's reasonably straightforward for them to share. I mean, I'll look at look at this one. I mean, this is OSCID public data file twenty twenty. That's ninety gigabytes. Here's an ImageNet data set. Uh, it's uh, one hundred and seventy nine gigabytes. Um, we'll scroll a little bit further down. This one just says Kinetic 700 data set. Um, motherfucker is 365 gigabytes. They're all out there. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, the, the file names drive me crazy <laughs> because they're, they're, they're all, they're all over the place. Um, but it seems like there's, um, it seems like there's, Plenty of different things, plenty of different places. A lot of them seem to be marked with uh, a lot of them seem to be marked with URLs. It's good. Um, a lot of them are at least reasonably self-descriptive. So there is a solution, but but the the upload rate on this is I don't know one a week or something like that. Oh. So I've got a page. I've got a page open here, and a page which I guess would be twenty entries goes from november 2020 to may 2021 okay not super active then no it's not super active but it's there i mean i didn't i didn't know about it because i've never faced this problem but three people have mentioned this to me uh in the last 72 hours and i googled it and 30 seconds later i found something that does the job so do do people use things like this as an excuse not to do it just because it's a pain in the ass? And the answer is yes, of course they do, because it it doesn't confer them any benefit. In exactly the same way that privacy concerns are very very convenient to 
not send data to people, even though there's no there's no conceivable privacy risk. Even the sort of privacy maximalists are like, oh, come on, no one's going to be able to do that. In, in their heads, everyone's out there reverse engineering data until you find out, you know, that uh, Larry Malone, age 48 in particular, who lives down that road, has got, has got the sicknesses. I mean, people, people take that far too seriously. And I've seen people hide behind privacy concerns before. But, I mean, it goes a lot further than that. And the best dodge, obviously, is to just conveniently leave it out of your ethics. So when anyone ever asks you, you go, oh, well, I'm afraid I don't have ethical approval to share the anonymized data. Yeah. Um, which and I do not know. Like, that's that we don't we don't have anyone who's ever clearly outlined, really publicly that. Maybe someone has, but they certainly haven't made a big song and dance about it. Has really clearly outlined what the what the rules are around that. So let's say then we've got a completely anonymized data set that we collect under regular ethical approval, does not specify the data is going to be given away to other people. Yeah. What is the what what are you what are you allowed to do with it when it's finished? I mean, whatever you want really as as the researcher, and that's the thing. People, I think people are hiding behind this. Oh, you you agree with me? All right. So, look, look, I, I think I I don't agree with you as much because I think there are some. There's a lot of cases where privacy concerns are real but at the same time there's, there's other cases where like you're asking very benign stuff yeah the sort of stuff where it's like one you know you, you can you don't have to send the entire data set you only have to send the data in many cases you only have to send the data to recreate specific analyses which might include like four variables i saw it, it was interesting just, just discussion uh from uh, lisa de brian about this whole idea well people do not if you ask someone for for the data behind a, a correlational analysis, people will be like, oh, I don't want to send you that. But people are still very happy to present scatter plots. And of course, with a scatter plot, if you have not too many data points, you can easily recreate what the data is. But the reason that that's different is that if you just have two sets of variables, you cannot identify people from two sets, two sets of variables. But when you have the entire data set, then then maybe. Um, but what, what, okay, what do we do about this? I think it is a rote response that people write data is available on request. Much in the same way that people were like, we follow these guidelines when you actually dig into it, they never follow the guidelines. I think when people are saying data is available on request, they're doing it because that's just that's what they see other people <laughs> writing writing in the right uh, writing in the other articles. So that so that's what they do. And I love okay, this. So so hang on, Dan, people with terminal degrees are writing things down like a pigeon on a variable reinforcement banging its empty fucking head <laughs> against have, a lever. Have you been in academia? <laughs> of course. Right. So basically with this is the we'll call this the highly educated lemmings hypothesis. I think a lot of academia is explained by that. <laughs> You wouldn't agree? So much stuff like... <laughs> no, no, no. I agree completely. It's just nice to see a little cynical face light up when you say horrible things. I know, but I, th- I, think, I think it's true. Um, this is coming from, you know, I, I, I like I like a good reporting guideline, but I don't like it when people say they did it when they didn't, didn't actually do it. And I think this is, this is the same sort of situation. Well, so- yes. Yeah, well, I mean, there's plenty of evidence that what you've just said is the case, Dan. Think of... Uh, 
some some dozens of episodes back of the episode with Henry Drysdale oh. when they are on the the, the the consort, you know, all of these journals sign up to consort the reporting guidelines for clinical trials. Um, they look at and directly deal with sixty eight of them, and fifty seven of them directly violate the consort guidelines to a sufficient degree where you can write to the journal and tell them that, and they're supposed to give a shit. It's exactly the same with like, it's the same with open data mandates that come from from anywhere. There's universities and countries that are that that specify this kind of thing, but no one's checking that. And the NIH is going to have a new rule on um, January next year that says everything needs to have a data management plan. They're not going to police guarantee- that. <laughs> I guarantee. I guarantee you, this is going to be it's going to be total piss. I saw an interesting case of this being mandated from the journal side and it actually mm. worked. This is a story from a friend of the show, former guest Chris Chambers, who was talking about a journal mandate. And it's not necessarily forcing authors to share data. He said uh, that in Cortex, uh, a couple of years ago, they instituted this policy that in order for authors, in order for papers to be accepted, Authors either needed to a uh, make all their data available in a public repository, yeah, or mm-hmm. state in the manuscript a specific ethical or legal reason why they can't, and that if they go with option two, they need to state in the manuscript the necessary and sufficient conditions that requesters need to meet to obtain the data. So this gets around the whole reasonable request thing. So when they say data available upon reasonable request, someone requests it, they can just go, that's not reasonable, sir. That is not a reasonable request. But if you're making it specific in the manuscript under what conditions, you might say um, data is available for people who would like to do a meta-analysis or for people who would like to verify the analysis. And you email them going, I would like to verify the analysis or I'd like to do meta-analysis, then you're being very specific as to when you can share the data. And so Chris goes on to say that prior to launching the policy, data sharing rates at Cortex were around 10%. Today, 85% of papers publicly archive some sort of data and 50 um, archive all the data that you need. And uh, so, that yeah, there's an example of, look, the... <laughs> Obviously, the editorial board was very motivated, so that is why they're following up and policing this. But I do like this idea of being specific for under what conditions you will share the data, or you can just, or or, or from the very outset, you can just say, "Hey, like due to privacy concerns, we're we're, we're not going to share." But at least you have to be specific about why. Hmm. Yeah. Um. No. No particular, um, no particular problems with with that as an idea. I mean, that's going to fail. Um, that's going to fail a purity test for a lot of people. But you know, it's um, it's that's 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 okay in a way. I mean, you, you don't seem you, you, you don't seem entirely satisfied. No, it's 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 more the fact that. You, you, you're going to do better. It's a very Chris Chambers solution in the fact that it's actually it's actually it's actually practical and makes people um makes people engage with the topic itself while not achieving the sort of maximal outcomes that obviously put people off. He's a very practical man, um, and 
obviously that obviously that works. Um, it 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 depends. I always it, it's. I I think we have a natural tendency when we think about things like how will we do a reform? How will we make the science better? I think we have a natural tendency towards maximizing our ideas and then getting disappointed afterwards when they become mostly or entirely unworkable. And I think Chris is one of the people who can resist that tendency and leans into things that are doable. And the other problem for me is that when you're disconnected from actually having to do the work, you always add a bit in your head of, oh, if we've gone that far, why don't we do this other thing? Which is which is a very dangerous way to think. I mean, everyone does it, but it's a very dangerous way to think. Why don't we just add a bit more? Any sentence that starts with, why don't we just, is is about as fatuous and dangerous as any sentence that contains should, which you know is my least favorite word. Um, so... I don't know. Like in the process of saying all this, I'm kind of coming around to it now because I mean, there's uh, there's an obvious logic there to actually being able to make things accessible. I wonder what all the categories are. You said meta analysis. No, uh, they, they, don't, they don't give categories. You have to give the categories yourself. So you just have to state if there's an ethical or legal reason why you can't share and under what conditions that you would share. So I just gave some examples. I don't, I don't think a lot of people would know. If there were specific legal reasons why they couldn't share, well, there's the, the there's the um the um, the, the commercial reasons. You know, we you mentioned the example of data from oil companies or from other companies, and yeah, of course, that's a that's a decent legal reason. Um, mm. obviously, there's privacy stuff, but if you well, I mean, is this the uh, commercial reasons one of the most straightforward ones, which is simply the fact that we generated the data because we want to have it. We don't want you to have it. We want to show you how it works because we think it's interesting. No, but you could write, okay, I'm willing to share this if you if you sign an NDA, if it's a commercial thing. Yeah, I'm I'm really surprised that we don't get into more of that. That's so that's so common. That's so common in Exactly. Space. Uh, it really is. I mean, I, I want to do, I, I met some nice gentlemen uh, at a, uh, a separate tech company, which was in, which is not in a typical city. Um, and I, I, was, I was quite interested in their tech. And they seemed like nice people and they're in our sort of space. Uh, close enough that we have common interests, but not so close that we're in any meaningful form of competition, which is like the best people to meet. Yeah, I love, I love those people. The, you can talk about all the stuff that is of mutual interest without worrying about anything being a, a, a trade secret, basically. Um, and he said, I should come by for a research visit. Like, oh, are you going to need an NDA? And I come yesterday. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not. in this context, I'm not going to do an NDA. I mean, people sign them for lots of stupid reasons where they're not enforceable and wouldn't make a difference anyway. Um, but it is considered just... Um, I think it's more sort of out of reflex. I think it's a, it's a, in, in the same way when someone asks you how you are and you say, good, how are you? I think it's a sort of business reflex that's equivalent, you know, even if you're having a shit day. People are always surprised and they say, how are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm two hairs away from being a fucking walking corpse right now. And you're like, they weren't actually asking how you were, James. Follow the social <laughs> conventions, just learn to say fine. You love, you love Norway. People actually say, say how they're feeling. It's great. I can't. I get that wrong about once a week. Oh, I, I would like that. You would you like. Know? I think the Dutch are the same. 
I'll just say how, how it is. How, how are you? How are you, Haring Handel? Oh, really? Terrible. Thanks very much. My mother is ill, and I never liked her. <laughs> you, you just accidentally spoke Norwegian. Hari Handel is um ah uh, the equivalent of bogan shopping or g- going uh <laughs> go, go, going going for, for going to the cheap stores. Well done, James. Oh, Christ, I have no idea where I picked that up. Um, I'm sure I didn't say it right. <laughs> anyway, almost, so, you almost said so, it correctly. Su- suffice su- suffice to say, suffice to say that we that, that these these environments are interrogable, but it, it's always more incremental and more slow and more difficult and requires more involvement of more people than anyone has the willingness a lot of the time to support over time. Um, I've often amused myself by going back and looking at. Um, Reports written by ethical congresses and shit like that six years ago, eight What's years ago. What's an ethical congress? Oh, there's lots of conferences on research ethics. Research oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, shit okay, like okay, that, yeah. Which, um, you know, the, the people who get out into that space and mess it up all the time and never go to one and not invited to. <laughs> it's, more, it's more people talking about it boringly in a room while they support their fucking holiday that they piggybacked off of or something. I don't fucking know. I've never been to one. I've certainly never been invited. Um, I also don't think I'd be particularly interested in my opinion. <laughs> um, it, it's it's um, it's all it's always fun to see. You know, we had a steering committee and we made eight decisions, and now we've made the decisions; they will suffice. You know, it's like me starting a space program by writing down I should go to space on a piece of paper <laughs> and sticking it to the wall. Step one complete. Yes, step step one, build rocket. Step two, (laughs) pew, 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 sir. And part of of this is the fact that there's there's organizational time and there's personal time. So think about it this way. A PhD in in four years is is a very long time of personal time. A lot of hard work and fucking crying in the broom closet and disappointments and triumphs and everything else all mixed in. But on an organizational level, four years is sometimes uh, enough to see whether or not the decisions you made right at the very beginning are having some kind of effect. <laughs> so, I mean, how long would uh, – think of starting a new academic journal. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's measured in institutional or organizational time. And for one person, obviously, Herculanean effort. Um, would take the entirety of a PhD sort of amount of work, yeah, sure. potentially, right? But, I mean, at that point in time, you're probably just starting to be considered a real journal. It's like years. Yeah, and that's if people submit to it in the first place. I think you need to, for them to issue all the silly bullshit that you need, uh, DOIs and, God forbid, impact, impact factors, whatever else. For that to happen, I think you need, Two years worth of activity, or something M- minimum. Similar. Yeah, and then yeah, at least at least you get an impact factor. <sighs> yeah, it's it's really difficult to click your fingers and set off. You you need to have you need to have people involved in the process. A lot of it, it takes a lot of people and time and money, and a lot of the time profile as well. You need to be famous. I was just thinking today, like, how could you possibly start a journal? We get so much spam all the time about all these different journals, and if you weren't known, you would just be another spam journal if you just started off. You could, no, 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 we're actually legitimate. We're, we're, the, we're, we're the real journal. You need to be, a good example is Metasite Journal. Started a bunch of folks who were fa- fairly well-known within the field. Um, and 
they're, you know, getting some traction, some interesting papers getting published there, but really interesting papers getting published there. But I have a feeling that if they were not well known or at a reputable institution, it would be almost be impossible to start a new journal. Yeah, you you could do it, but you would you would have to have a very delicate hands-on kind of touch because you can't spam something like that into existence. It all works within interconnections that are made out of people's individual relationships. Yeah. Relationships, plural. It, it has to be something. You need a sort of core of people who agree that something should exist. I mean, everyone always thinks of eLife as uh, Randy Sheckman's journal, you know, because he won the Nobel Prize and he said, fuck cell science and nature. I want to start a journal that's less toilet. Um, and that really, really helps. Certainly, from that, I mean, I'm pretty sure he doesn't keep the servers running. Himself. He's, copy editing he, or he's, anything like that. He's turning, he, all, he turning all the switches. He, he, he may not even be involved anymore. But I can't tell you how many people I've met who think of it through that frame. Yeah. Through the frame Instant of Nobel, Nobel, Nobel McGinty started a thing. Yeah. And that's the kind of cachet you need to have associated with it, even if they're just sort of like it's a popcorn association, right? That's the sort of cachet that you need to have to be able to do this. It is very, very, everything in science and everything in higher education is very walled off. It's very anti-competitive a lot of the time, yeah? And something that, um, oh, I, should, I will find out where I found this out a while back and put it in... Uh, put it in the show notes because I thought this was a really interesting point. Um, this is one of the things I cut out of V1, the 94-minute version of my 50-minute stock talk. Um, yeah, not good, James. But one of the really interesting things in the US is how do you start a university? The The answer is you start a university by applying to a basically a peak body thing that consists of a group of people from other universities. Right? There is some certifying body in the same way if you're going to be a metal worker or something. Like a national or a state? Yeah, 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 yeah. A a national one. Um, And they approve very, very few new universities. So if you come up with some brilliant idea on how to be a market entrant and start a university, it's quite unlikely that they'd let you do it. And sometimes they get decertified, but obviously like University of Phoenix, online scammy bullshit universities get decertified, uh, community colleges that run out of money, et cetera, et cetera. So they fall off for other reasons. But if you had some, if you thought, you know, what an interesting major commercial space I will start a university um, and it will have lots of modern improvements and it will behave as if it's in the 21st century. They won't let you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Right? But then we come to the work of what actually happens at universities. And you say, I'm going to start a journal as I've got all the amazing, all these amazing ideas of what should and shouldn't happen within how academia is. Or I want to cancel the idea of the paper entirely. You don't get to make that decision. It, the decision is made by the public publishing habits of the top one or two thousand people in your field, and they'll send their shit wherever they. So you need this colossal buy-in beforehand. You are not allowed to have a better idea. 
They're anti-competitive environments. And that is salted the whole way through research in the formal sense and higher education and the university systems themselves, all rolled up in this really big anti-competitive bucket. It's a very, very difficult space to do broad-scale innovation. And the irony is that universities are hand over fist signing up uh, innovation offices and having like new commercialization projects and shit like that. No, we're the university of the future. That shit doesn't exist because your dean is on a committee that says it isn't allowed to. It's interesting that there are now a lot of online platforms where you can essentially start a journal free i think ubiquity is what it's called anyway there's a platform mm. where you can you can open source your, your entire journal of course there's, there's always overlay journals as well so with a lot of work you could essentially run a journal kind of like metasci who is an overlay journal on osf but you've you've hit the nail on the head in that you need a massive amount of buy-in from the people in your field elife had that buy-in instantly because of Sheckman because it was supported by the Wellcome Trust and Max Planck. Yeah. Max Planck, I believe, was was the, the, the two main people. And they said, hey, this is a good thing. And everyone instantly goes, cool, I'm going I'm to submit my work there. But a new journal, uh, I've seen a lot of success with journal flipping where people are not happy with the publisher and they basically go, hey, we're going to move our editorial board and we're going to start something new. That is probably the most realistic way of getting things done but again you need huge amounts of community buy-in and for a lot of fields that's just not there there's just people are happy oh you know my work will publish there we're not going to change a thing so it's uh it's a, it's a tricky situation yeah it is and you might think well let's say we just uh let's say we just start an organization that educates people in the absence of it being formally considered to be a university well more than half of students in the u.s receive formal financial support and a lot of that is pell grants um how you are allocated this money whether or not you are allowed to receive it yes in the same way that i cannot have a tax deduction by claiming my cat as a dependent he is not a dependent he is a cat yeah i can't do that shit because i don't have three kids i can't claim a low income threshold because i have a proper job now and you can't take money from the government or allow people to get loans to go to your institution or any number of other things unless you are actually an accredited institution Mm. and the existing institutions control the accreditation. So basically, uh, you're left with this space where it can't be that formal version of the same thing. But there is... I feel like that within the sort of digital education area, it's interesting how, you know, Coursera and Google and um, not themselves, but they, they, one of these companies they, they own, um, they're getting into the sort of digital resource certificate, whatever kind of space, are offering these different individual educational opportunities that are much, 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 much cheaper because I know people are going to have to pay it for themselves. I mean, who would take, a lot of people would take a year's worth of Google Code Camp online if they could get a loan to be able to do it. Yeah? yeah. But they can't do that. So what, what it, what, and that affects the products that can be eventually developed in that format. 
because you can't charge $8,000 for a fucking online course in learning Java. Go fuck yourself. I just buy the textbook and struggle through myself. I may not learn as much. It's just like the there's an enormous gap between what you can buy in this space a lot of the time uh, and what people would ideally buy if the regulatory environment was different. Now, I know all of the, and this is the thing, this is the reason the talk was 94 minutes long originally. It's because these are boring, this is boring stuff. I'm bored of my own face, like looking at it in the fucking Zoom window, talking to me. But it's really important to understand how all these pieces fit together. This is why I've spent, I haven't written about it much, but I've spent a lot of time reading about and listening to policy stuff within this space. University policy. Obvious, obvious, yeah. But the, but the broader sort of the sort of macro policy, how everything how everything fits together, yeah. And I've tried on previous occasions to talk to people about this, not here, until to, to a very small extent every now and then. But people are just not fucking interested in this, and it affects everything. It's like uh, data cleaning, uh, data standards. You know, it's super fucking important for making everything sufficiently happily interoperable and whatnot. Yeah, it it keeps it keeps the pipes clean. It keeps the spine together of being able to have properly structured, available digital resources. No one's interested in data standards. I mean, you're interested in their outcomes. They're worth doing. They're worth keeping together. But it's really difficult to be excited by them. It's really difficult to give a shit. It's much easier to have six people in a room going, right, when we're finished with this document, we're going to put everyone to rights and people will read it and realize how wrong they were. <laughs> we'll, we'll be great crusaders of the future. No, you fucking won't. No, you won't. And you should know that. You should know that at the time. You're doing an academic exercise. Yeah? <sighs> Exe- executing everything is hard. Down. Planning things, having great ideas, being excited is easy and it's good, but it isn't self sustaining. You have to you have to be a miserable shit. <laughs> well, let's wrap it up. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thank you to all the pa- all our patrons. Uh, we, we're getting people regularly signing up to get access to these bonus episodes, which we release once a month. Thank you for that. And you can also get uh, access to cost price merch. Don't forget our metal shirt. Everything hurts metal shirt, um, which, um, which, which looks amazing. You have to check it out. I'll put direct link to that shirt in the show notes. But yes, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with a new episode of Everything Hurts. See you later.